great. Uh, uh, I gave you guys five extra minutes. Uh, this is the, the Springbrook experience. That's uh, where we start five minutes late no matter what. Uh, we're going to get going, though. All right, I'll let you find your seats. Or you can stand. Both work here. All right. Hey, good job. Now, uh, for those who are confused, Gordon Johnson is in a classroom. Uh, he, If you want to go see him, now's your final chance. No, you're still here. All right, that's commitment. All right, uh, my name is Ben Buchanan. Uh, I don't know if you know me. Uh, my, this is a fun facts about me. Uh, my favorite book this year uh, is a book I read. It's uh, Our God is Awesome by Tony Evans. Uh, fun fact about that book, uh, I stole it from Mike Cactus when Robert Kennan gave it to him uh, three Christmases ago, and I just now read it, so I'm glad it wasn't a library book. Uh, I'm 27, that's just how old I am, I made this PowerPoint very fast, uh, and I love to meet new people. Uh, how many of you have met somebody new this week? That's... Who's not raising their hand? Hey, my name's Ben Leaf. It's nice to meet you. Oh. <laughs> uh, meeting new people is one of my absolute passions in this world. Uh, however, in the last two years, I've had to get very creative in how I meet people. COVID uh, made it so I had to be six feet away from people. Uh, masks made it where I couldn't smile and, you know, see if they smile back. So then you approach them because like, oh, they're clearly happy. I want to talk to them. And so I've, I've been in this loop of trying new and wor- weirder ways to meet people. And some of them work, some of them don't. And that's my strength, right? When it comes to the kingdom of God, I am great at meeting new people and, and attempting to have Bible studies with them. Right? That's my strength. So when they asked me to uh, speak at the lectureships, I was like, sweet, they'll put me in a classroom, I'll get to meet a lot of people. And then they said, I'm in the auditorium. I was like, well, they're going to give me an easy parable, so I'll be able to do it real quickly and then meet new people. And then they gave me the parable of rich man and Lazarus. And folks, I'm going to be honest, it's kind of rough. I'm going to need your help today. Uh... I had COVID uh, this October or around then. Uh, and I was in the hospital. I got pneumonia in my lungs. And now, man, I don't got the long-windedness I used to. Worse than that, I had COVID three weeks ago. I know, it was, it was again. I didn't tell you because I didn't want to worry you, but it was pretty rough. No, it was actually really easy. I, I just had to stay home for like three days. Well, a week, but still. Man, it was, staying at home, you can't really meet people that way. So I might take some breaks, give me some time to breathe, give you some time to breathe. But we're going to jump in here. And it all comes down to names, right? What is in a name? Right? I listed two, three, well, really three of some of the, the funniest names I could think of. The first one is Jacob. Jacob literally means heel grabber. We, it has been interpreted to deceiver, but it means literally heel grabber. Also known as pulling your leg. You ever think about that? Jacob was just a leg puller. But then we have Esau, whose name was Harry. 
Can you imagine naming your kid Harry or Fuzzy? Kind of crazy. But that's, I mean, what it really means is a beast of a man. And these names ended up describing who they, they represented, right? Jacob was somebody who lived a life of deceit. Esau was a man who lived in the wilderness. Now the next one is Benjamin. That's my name. It means son of my right hand, literally. What it translates into is I'm the favorite. How'd that happen? Oh, okay. Do we got someone working on it? Hey, how's it going? It's back. What it means is I'm my, my, my father's favorite, right? That's what it literally translates to, so it has to be correct. I'm here to tell you it is probably true. Maybe. Right now, maybe not so, but maybe tomorrow. But the, it comes down to a name, and we're going to look at the rich man and Lazarus, but it, who is right with God? That is a real thing we're talking about today. Because I have a, a question that I... Listen, I, I, I have thought about it. I read about it. I studied about it. But who is right with God is very important, especially for this story. And it all starts with the idea of who is right with God. Why do the Jews believe that if they had money, you were blessed, right? This is a, a, a theme we see out throughout the New Testament. This is a theme we saw through the Old Testament. Why? Now, this is my water jug. I drink it whenever I ask a question and there's silence. Now, I know you might not be able to hear you, but you can still answer and I'll try to hear you. So, uh, why, why did Jews believe that if you had money, you were blessed? Yeah, that's 100% right. We look at the book of Job, and we see in his example is that, Job, the reason you're suffering, the reason you're having these trials, is because you did something wrong. Now, because we have the context of Job, we know that that wasn't correct, but that was the human perspective. And that trickled through all of Judaism. That if you were blessed, you had money. It's all started for the Greeks with this word makarios. I probably mispronounced it, but that's all right. None of us really speak Greek today on the daily. Except for maybe Mr. Lauren, but that's a different statement, I think. Makarios started with this idea that the gods, right, the figments of their imagination that they, they made up were blessed because they don't have to worry about a thing. They don't have to worry about death because they're gods. They don't have to worry about wealth because they were gods. They didn't have to worry about going to work because they were gods. And then the Jews, or the Greeks, kept on taking it more. And the Hellenistic Greeks, they were like, hey, you know who was blessed? The dead. The dead are blessed because they don't have to worry about a thing. They don't have to worry about death. They don't have to worry about pain. They don't have to worry about money because they were dead. Then they took it one step farther and they said, you know who else is blessed? The rich. Rich don't have to worry about money because they have it. Then they said, well, the rich don't have to worry about a job because they're rich. They don't have to worry about getting sick because they're rich. 
And the Greeks at this point uh, invaded uh, Jerusalem and, and brought this idea of blessed, or makarios, to them. And now all of a sudden the Jews had this word blessed, and they thought it meant those who God had blessed with earthly possessions. And then we go to Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, and it starts talking about the Beatitudes. And Jesus starts making statements of what blessedness is to the kingdom. Right? We look at it, Matthew chapter 5, verses, uh, starts in verse 2. Uh, but he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad in your reward is, for your reward is great in heaven. For for, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Right? This is the definition that Jesus is working with when he talks about blessed. Now the reason that this is important, the reason we're talking about this at all, is because we're going to look at the rich man and Lazarus. The Jews had this definition that came from a lot of misunderstanding of what God meant when he said, you are blessed. And so we get to the rich man, and we're going to look at this man's lifestyle real fast. This is Luke chapter 16, verse 19 and 21. And we're going to go all the way to verse 31. So if you want, if you have your Bibles, you can go there. I've got it up here in the ESV, but if that's not the version for you, you I hope you have yours on you. So it reads like this. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted scrumptiously every day. That is ridiculous. Folks, I, I go to camp once a week, or once a year, right? If, if I'm lucky for three weeks, and that's a feast every day. But I can't live at camp every single, every single day. That food bill would be crazy. To feast every day, we're going to get into that, but that's a huge thing. Verse 20, And at his gate laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Right in the story, we have two sets, or we have two people, right? We have a rich man and a guy named Lazarus. The rich man does not get a name. This is the only parable that Jesus states somebody's name. That's, that's a lot. I'm pretty sure it is. I might have missed one or two, but this name of Lazarus, do you know what it means? God the helper. God is my helper. So the rich man, he lives this life, right? He was clothed in purple. He was fine linen. He feasted scrumptiously every day. Purple, two weeks salary, easy. Or two months salary, easy. For a set of purple clothes. 
linen is extremely expensive. You have to get it shipped in from Egypt. His wealth that he wore every day would set you back at least six months' wages, including shipping and handling. That's a lot. And here he is, and he wears this every day. Not only that, he feasts scrumptiously. Back in the day, it's lucky to have meat once a week. That is, that is pretty good. That's middle-class life. This man had so much meat and exotic foods he ate it every day. More than that, there's a man standing at his gate who is hungry, who is starving who desires to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. He was so rich, and we got historical examples of this, but when you were so wealthy in that day, you didn't use napkins, you used bread to wipe your hands with, because they didn't have forks or silverware. And so they used bread, and so they would wipe their fingers on bread and then throw that on the ground. That's how you get ants. But he didn't have ants, he had dogs. They were there and they would eat him. This poor man, he would have to either fight the dogs or it says he longed to eat it, so he clearly wasn't getting it. This is the two men's situation. Then it says in verse 22, the poor man died and was carried to the angels, uh, to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being tormented, lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham from afar off. And Lazarus at his side, and he called out, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. What happened? Right? We looked at their lives. But all of a sudden, they died, right? We get a little snippet, a little look into who they are and what type of lives they live. And then all of a sudden, we cut to the end of it. And they're dead. And it says the rich or Lazarus is by the side of Abraham. Abraham's bosom, if you have the King James V, yeah, King James version. King James V doesn't make sense, does it? That's all right. But folks, what what happened? Where is Lazarus? Right? Uh, what does it mean to be at Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side? Uh, it took me a while to, you know, try to track this down. Is this just talking about paradise? Is this just talking about, you know, this is what happens? Uh, and then I got on a sidetrack, and, and then it was going to take 30 minutes for me to explain what I was thinking and how I got there, so I thought, that's all right. I don't think it's too important to just talk, talk about it here. So that's not the main point I'm trying to get across. To me, I, I want to ask the question, what do you think it is to be at Abraham's side or at Abraham's bosom? Any thoughts? Abraham was a man of promise from God. Being with Abraham would be being within the realm of God's promises, or with with a godly man. Because Abraham was a god or a man of promises, being at his side is being in God's promises. I like that. Sorry, I already got a drink, so I'm good for another five minutes. 
being at Abraham's side, why would you be there? Why would you, and then why would it use the word bosom or chest? Why would it, you know, why would it describe it like that? The only conclusion I come to other than what Mr. Robert has said is that he was sitting at the table with Abraham and they were leaning over together and they were eating. Now that's not the most like fundamentally like 100% I can understand. I found a couple versions that said he was at Abraham's table. Uh, But I like that idea and that picturing that he was eating with Abraham. Because right before that, it was telling us about how hungry he was. Right before that, it was telling about the anguish and the longing he had to eat and to be satisfied. And all of a sudden, he's with Abraham being satisfied. Abraham's going to call it being comforted in a couple, or a couple of verses from here. But the point is, he is with Abraham. He is with somebody and by somebody who can give him comfort, while the rich man is not. More than that, where is the rich man? He's in punishment, man. He, he's in Texas in the summer. He, <laughs> East Texas. West Texas, yeah. East Texas is kind of nice in the summer. West Texas is rough. I'm not wrong. 111, folks, is, is pretty hot. But this man is even worse than that. I mean, he is baking. He is in a place of utter torment. Why? Why Why is he here? Folks, if we go back to the start of this, we get a description of his life. And nothing is he doing anything that is overtly against the law of God. In this, I cannot find one instance of where he breaks the law of God, where he breaks the Levitical system. Yes, he's a rich man. That's not forbidden. Yes, he he clothed himself in purple. The high priest clothed themselves in purple. Yes, he, he, he had linen. Yes, he feasted every day, but none of that broke the law unless that feast is somehow unclean. So what did he do? I want you to take five minutes. I've been talking for 20 minutes. That's a long time for me. So I want to get up. I want you to take five minutes. I want you to discuss, maybe stretch a bit, but discuss the question of what sin did the rich man commit? And that way, when we come back, I don't have to sit here drinking water for 10 minutes while you think about it. So all right, let's go ahead and take five minutes and let's think about it.
I can hear you. <laughs> all right, that's, that's exactly uh, five minutes there. Uh, I hope you all had it. Uh, I now have the honor to say that people talk during my lesson more than anyone else's lesson. So let me ask you. There it is. What is the sin of the rich man? Who thinks they've come to the answer? Charity. Charity. Yeah. Any other answers? Yes. He who knows it's sin and doesn't do it. Any else? Exclusivity. He wouldn't open the gate. Exclusivity. What else do we got? Anyone else? Oh, two more. Uh, what was that, Mr. Rick? Just being indifferent. Being what? Indifference. Being indifferent. Uh, I think I saw Leaf. Yeah, broke the second commandment, not loving his neighbor as himself. Mr. Collins? Yeah, uh, Deuteronomy 24, 19. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget forget a sheep in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the sojourner, fatherless, and the widow, oh. that the Lord your God may bless you in the work of your hand. So he didn't commit, he didn't understand gleaning, and so he just left it for him. I like it. He, well, yeah, he didn't understand the generosity that that verse is trying to get at that right. point. getting at. Now, I think you guys are very smart people, and I think you're all very right. I just wish I would have talked to you two weeks ago. I'm over here dissecting every single parsep in Greek trying to figure it out. I could have just asked you. The difference is that he did not recognize this, this poor guy, this Lazarus, as human. When he walked by, he did not see him. He was indifferent. The other year, I would say the other week, but it was a year ago, uh, I got a flat tire in my car. And I I had given away my jack about two weeks before, and I said I was going to buy a new one, and I never did. You ever had a flat tire and no jack? So what you can do, you shouldn't, but you can, is you can drive it up onto a snow berm and and then hope that that won't give out. Hoping is not enough. After it collapsed onto my foot, I decided to just drive my car to where it can help. And I was so upset, folks. It was cold. It was winter. My, I had a flat tire, so I had to pay money. And I could have driven past a whole community of homeless people, and I would not have noticed them. I was so wrapped up into my own world that I did not notice that there were people right beside me that could have needed or could have used help. I don't know if they were there or not because I just wasn't paying attention. This rich man, I believe he did something very similar. He treated the Lazarus as if he was a background. As if it was nothing. If he did nothing, he just didn't exist. What was Lazarus's good deeds that got him into heaven. What? Let's go back and look at Lazarus. All we know about him is that he was poor, he was sore, and he was hungry. 
And yet he ended up by Abraham's side. Why? I'm so glad you're here. It's, we know his name. And we know the meaning of his name is God is my helper. That is the statement of his life. It was not that God is justice. It was not that God is the righteous. It was not that God's wrath is right. It was God is my helper. Folks, that is a very big difference between relying on God 100% and relying on your wealth to the exclusivity of everyone else, to having such a narrow view that you only see you and no one else. I gotta skip forward again. There are things we don't talk about. I was growing up, my mother had a very big problem is I would say whatever I thought of. She didn't call me quick-witted. She didn't call me bright. She said, Ben, you talk before your brain even knows what it's saying. I still do that. She, she drilled into me. Ben, these are things we do not talk about around the table. I was born into a country who is known worldwide for racism. Growing up, we were not allowed to talk about race at the dinner table. You know what else I wasn't allowed to talk about at a dinner table when we're having dinner with other people? Whether it be my dad invited some people over he's going to evangelize to, or whether it be I'm simply going to somebody's house, I'm not allowed to talk about politics. You know what else uh, I learned very quickly going into high school and being all, the only Christian uh, in a, a high school of 5,000 kids in my one class? You know what the other thing I learned not to talk about was? Religion. There were three things I was not allowed to talk about that the society ingrained into me that it is uncomfortable to talk about, so I won't do it. Race, religion, and politics. Folks, let me ask you, is anyone here 100% comfortable with the way racial tensions is in the world right now? Is anyone 100% okay with the political climate in this world right now? Is anyone 100% okay with how religion is treated in the world right now? No, we have been silent on these issues for a long time. At least I know I have. I've been so silent sometimes. Well, we can't be anymore, can we? Lazarus could be at our gate waiting to hear us. And if we are so comfortable talking with people who look the same as us, who talk the same way as us, who look and believe the same things we believe, we were going to keep on getting into trouble. Folks, you can meet a hundred people who look like you. It's not hard. You can meet a hundred people who think like you. It's not hard. But you're never going to meet the man outside your gate if you don't. Meet new people. Lazarus is outside of the rich man's bubble. The rich man is comfortable in his life. He has food. He has clothes. He has everything he wants. And yet, where did he end up? We can't talk, we can't talk about these things. Now, the reason we're bringing this up 
because the last half of this parable. Let me check my time real fast. Oh, I'm doing great, folks. I'm impressed. With you guys, you have been a great, you sat still, talked a lot. With his next passages, in verse 25, But Abraham said, Child, remember that you, in your lifetime, received good things. Lazarus lay in the like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. Besides all that, between us there is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you would not be able to, and none uh, may cross from there to us. And 27, and he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my, uh, to my father's home, uh, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear. And then he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not uh, hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced by someone coming from the dead. Let's start back up in verse 25. Folks, there are things we can talk about. But when this life is over, I want you to look at this in verse uh, 25 or 26 there. Besides all this, between us is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would go and pass from here to you may not be able. If you are in Abraham's paradise, what can motivate you to want to leave that and go against a, a great chasm to, to a place of anguish. Why would you want to do that? I'm over here thinking like a human, thinking like a, a person of this world, thinking it's because I don't deserve to be in the paradise. You don't. None of us deserve to be in the paradise in the promises of God. We did nothing to earn them. It is all Jesus, it is all his love and his mercy that has put us into his promises. So why would we want to go over to a place of anguish? Because just like the rich man can see over, Lazarus can look over and see the man in anguish. Now I know there's some some thoughts behind that and I'm not going to dive into all of it. But what I'm saying is, when it's too late, it's too late. We walk by hundreds of people every day. And a lot of times, I, I make a great excuse on not to go talk to them. I make a lot of excuses like, oh, I'd have to get out of my truck. I make excuses like, man, someone else will do it. Folks, if there is anyone in this room who has a thousand percent opportunity to talk to anybody they meet, it's me. There is no worldly excuse for why I should not talk to somebody. And yet sometimes I don't. I am literally paid to reach the lost. And yet sometimes I'll make an excuse not to. 
That is not where I want to be. But folks, just as it is our job to reach people, Jesus made it very clear that there are people who when we try to reach them, they will not hear us. They will not be convinced. If they were not convinced by the prophets, how then would they be, or they they not hear the Moses and the prophets, then they won't be convinced by somebody coming back from the dead. You see it, right? Jesus came back from the dead. And yet people still persecuted Christians. People still did all that they could to derail Christ and his church. More than that, there are things that are slipped in that will divide us. This is the next verse, but you know, I don't believe in chapters too much. And so this is Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 4, and it says, And he said to his disciples, Temptation is a sin to uh, come. Oh, let me check the time before I... I saw Jay Lee here. I got to get done by 4.30, right? Yeah, I started at 3.30. Yeah, that didn't work out. We'll get done soon. Oh, there's a bell. I knew I was like, I'm five minutes out. How many times am I supposed to forgive a brother? That's right there. It's an easy one, guys. How many times? Seven times a day, at least. I mean, he's really using that as an example to say it is unlimited forgiveness. And as a brother Shane said, there's no limit to the forgiveness because I want to be forgiven for all that I do, so I must forgive as I've been forgiven. Folks, there are some terrifying words in the Bible. But just as Brother Shane had a terrifying words, I have my most feared words to hear. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, one day... Uh, On that day, uh, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Do we, uh, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is God. This is Jesus, the word of God, saying that he does not know you. He created you, and yet he says he does not know you. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm really not. What I want you to understand is that we do not have a free pass just because we support a missionary somewhere not to reach people. This is where I grew up a little bit. Uh, I'm going to get points. Anyone know where this is? I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Nairobi, Kenya. I was born in South Africa. I quickly moved to Nairobi. This is in Nairobi in 1998. This is my first memory, folks. Not of this exact picture, but of the street. It's a lovely memory. I remember that day, it was kind of wonky. I remember we were going to go to the market, but then all of a sudden, we couldn't. I remember we couldn't go to the market. Uh, because there was some guy named Ben who was around, and we had to instead go to our house, and we, we sat there for about three days. Do you know what happened on that day? 
This is the U.S. Embassy being bombed in Nairobi, Kenya, 1998. This was a huge disaster orchestrated by a guy named Bin Laden. He came into this country and he persecuted U.S. Embassy. On that day, people lost their lives. On that day, poor people died. On that day, rich people died. Death comes for us no matter what, but there's one thing above all that I want you to remember. That there is a promise. A promise that started with Abraham and was fulfilled in Jesus. That he would die on the cross, that he would be buried for our sins, and he would be resurrected, and we will be resurrected with him. That it doesn't matter what you've done in your life, it doesn't matter who you are, that if you repent now, and you give your life to him, that you too can receive eternal life. That you too will be comforted, that you too will be in paradise with him. Folks, that is the message that we have for the world. That is the beauty that we get to share with anybody who will listen to us. And yes, some may want to divide us, some might not want to believe us, but it is not our job to convince them. It is our job to tell them. So as we go to the rest of the Alaska, I want us to tell them so that God will be pleased. And that his will be done. Amen.